two frogs fell in a can of cream, or so I've been told. The sides of the can were shiny and steep, and the cream was deep and cold. Oh, what's the use, croak? Number one, just fate no helps around. Goodbye, my friend. Goodbye, sad world. And weeping still, he drowned. But number two of sterner stuff, dog paddled in surprise. Then while he wiped his creamy face and dried his creamy eyes, said, I'll swim a while at least. Oh, so I've heard he said, it really wouldn't help the world if one more frog were dead. An hour or two he kicked and swam. Not once did he stop to mutter, but kicked and kicked and swam and kicked, then hopped out via butter. <laughs> T.C. Hamlet. Last weekend, Pastor Dwight ably delivered the message here. I was at Palmerton preaching there on the subject of Judas. Judas is one who failed Jesus miserably. Judas is one who, if he had waited a couple of more days, could have seen his fate turn out much different than it did. Because had he waited a couple more days and had he let the resurrection take hold of his life, his fate could have turned out so much different. But instead, what he did was he allowed himself to just give in to hopelessness, to despair, and he would have no new chance no continued story. He ended his life. But when you look here at the life of Peter, you see him fail Jesus too. As a matter of fact, he's written about more than the other 11 disciples combined. We hear more about him, learn more about him, understand more about him, see more about him than any of the rest of them. But he too denied Jesus and he too failed miserably. Though he thought he wouldn't, he did. But he waited a couple more days after his failure, and then came the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he indeed would let the resurrection of Christ sink into his heart, sink into his mind, sink into his life, and it changed everything. If we let the resurrection of Christ take root in our heart, sink into our life, we can be transformed, and we can see our best days ahead of us. We can see hope. We can see future. We can see abundant life. We can see next. We can know there's something more than the sad, miserable plight we may find ourselves in. Today I want to look at the story of Peter differently than I ever have before. For I want to look at it through this verse that Pastor Justin spoke about in Luke 22 and 61. When there we see Jesus gives a look. Now when you were a child, perhaps your mom gave you a look. Perhaps when you were a child, maybe it was your dad who gave you a look. Uh, maybe, <laughs> my son's over here saying yes, yes. <laughs> I got a witness in the house. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, he, he definitely got some looks. He needed them. But uh, some of you probably needed them too. And, and some of the looks are looks of affirmation. And some of them are the looks of love. They come, come from those eyes just looking at us. 
And maybe you didn't have a parent. Maybe you had a guardian or maybe you had someone else speaking into your life. Grandmother, somebody else. And they were giving you a look and you knew what they meant by their look. They didn't really have to say anything. Peter has denied Jesus. And Jesus looks over at Peter. And there with that look, he says several things. He does several things. And today, with the help of the Lord, I want to look at this passage through the eyes of Jesus, if you will. And what I want to do is, I want to consider the power of those looks that Jesus gave. We're going to look at two looks of Jesus today that show us how we can be restored from our most hopeless situations of life. First, let's look at what Jesus said with this look. What Jesus said with this look. This look spoke of Christ's knowledge. He is omniscient. It means he knows everything that is knowable. His knowledge is inclusive and comprehensive. Yet in all of his knowledge and foreknowledge, knowledge of what's going to happen before it happens, he could control us like robots. Sometimes we wish he would, right? But he doesn't choose to do that because out of his great love, he has given to every one of us a free will. And every one of us has the opportunity to take that free will and to choose to either love him or hate him, to be nice to other people or to be rude to other people, to be violent to people or to really love other people. We have that choice. It is with our free will that we choose to love him or choose to dismiss him. Yet he knows everything. And the incredible thing is he knows your story and he knows your story and he knows your story and he knows my story. And something pretty powerful is he knew Peter's story. He knew what was going on in the life and the mind of Peter. Jesus, with that look, also said this. He said, there's been much pain to bring this moment about. There is much pain in this moment as well. As he looks through that whole situation, Jesus hanging on the cross, pain. Jesus looking at the life of Peter. Life of Peter has brought pain because he has denied Christ. And Jesus looks at your life and my life as well and hangs to the cross. And there, his life was in pain. This also speaks of great love. This speaks of incredible love. He looked at Peter and he had love for him. Easter reminds us there's nothing cheap about grace. And there's nothing, 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 nothing cheap about the love of God. In John chapter 15 and verse 13, it says this to us. Greater love has no one than this than to lay one's life down for one's friend. Philip Yancey, echoing that sentiment, said this. He said, when Jesus prayed to the one who could save him from death, he did not get that salvation. He got instead salvation for the world. And I say it again. He knows your story. With all the knots, with all the twists, with all the realities, he knows your story. Yet, he loves you. He loves you with an intense, intentional, incredible love that reaches beyond comprehension, that reaches beyond anything you have ever done, wherever you have ever gone. Some of you follow the greater Christian world and follow other people's lives, and you have heard the name of Matthew Barnett. Matthew Barnett is the one who founded the Dream Center in L.A. with the help of some people more knowledgeable and capable than himself. But as a young man, they would buy this hospital in Los Angeles and make it a place for the prostitutes to come and get delivered from their life. Homeless people to have a place that they could call home and restore dignity to their life. 
to teach them something about trades or life. It'd also be a place where people involved in drugs and gangs could break free and begin to find life and hope that they had not found before. The Dream Center, a noble dream. But when he was 20 years old, he went there, and they had a church that he was able to use. He had huddled around just a very small number of people. It wasn't some great big ministry at that point. It's just a small little huddle of people. And on that day, they were going to be meeting at this church. And when they walk up the steps of the church, they see that there's a young man that is laying dead on the steps. They literally had to walk around him to come up into the sanctuary area. He didn't know what to do about all of this. This was beyond what he had experienced growing up. But now this is a reality that is staring him in the face. He said to the people that were gathered, his little huddled group, he said, what shall we do? He, they said to him, you don't understand. It is us and it is them. They run in the gangs and we don't mix with the gangs. He said, let's take an offering. Little group didn't have much. They collected $38. The guy who had died on the steps, mother lived across the street. He takes the little offering, meager offering as it was, goes over, knocks on the door, and he asked if he could see the mother of the guy who had died. They open the door and take him back through the house to where the mother is. The house is filled with many people, gang members, all kinds of people. He goes back to where the mother is, and he says, I'm Matthew, new in town. I'm a preacher across the street. We took up a little offering. Maybe this will help a little bit. And he said, could I pray? He said, I prayed a little memorized prayer I had that didn't go very far, but I prayed it, did the best I could, turned and started walking out. As I walked out, one of the gang members grabbed me by the arm and said, hey, Padre, aren't you going to pray for us? He said, we formed a little circle there in the room with those that were there, and we joined hands. And he said, I prayed a little memorized prayer that I had, but I could see I was getting nowhere. And as I got nowhere with this prayer, he said, I began to leave that memorized little prayer that I had, and I began to really call out to God. And what I did was I begged God to help these people see the error of their way, that they would turn from the ways that they were going, and that they would quit doing bad, but they would do good, and they would turn to God. He said, I felt this hand, the guy squeezed me over here, and this hand, the guy squeezed me over here, and pretty soon they started raising my hand. And he said, I'm still praying on as hard as I can go. Young 20-year-old young Matthew Barnett praying. He said, pretty soon every hand in that circle was raised in surrender to God as we saw those guys delivered from the gang and delivered from their habits that day. That's a hallelujah moment, my friend. Jesus knows your story. He knows your story. And what he says is, you can be free. You don't have to end your life like Judas did, giving up, but you can let the resurrection of Jesus Christ reach out into your life, and when you do, you can find hope like Peter was finding hope. And then I want to look at what Jesus did with this look as we look through his eyes. I want to see what Jesus did with this look. Jesus' look would remove the cover that hid Peter's sin from himself. Sometimes we cover them up, don't we? Suppress them. Put them somewhere where we try not to bring them up. But Bluma Zagarnik came up with something called the Zagarnik effect. The Zagarnik effect is something you've experienced, whether you know it or not. She says you will take those failures and incompleted tasks of your life, 
and they will spin in your mind as if you wanted to complete them, as if you wanted to correct them, as if you wanted to do something different with them. Kind of like you see your computer every once in a while or your phone just spinning there trying to get the signal all straightened out. And you're trying to get it all straightened out, but your mind won't let you rest because you can't figure it out. And you don't know what to do with the broken chapters of your life. For those things that have been done and tasks completed and excellence there, and your mind doesn't bother you about it, your mind will file those things away in a file. Everybody say file. File File them away in a file. They're complete. As a matter of fact, you'll begin to forget some of the details that surrounded that good thing you did, the Zagarnik effect. In theology, we study something quite similar to this. It is called conviction. It is where we understand that the Holy Spirit, to where we understand truth of God, is alive in our thoughts, is alive in our heart, and we see our life, and we see where we don't quite measure in the ways we should have. Now, when we understand the idea of conviction, as Peter would understand it, we see there is a course correction, and the resurrection of Christ provides that. When we look at conviction as Judas did, we see it as condemnation and there is no hope. And we feel hopeless. And in his case, he ended his life, took his life, and did not need to do that because there was hope. He just didn't see it. When you have in your mind something come to mind that is a a broken wrong of your past, whether done to you or done by you, you have that thing that has happened and you don't know what to do with it, you have that little collection, a box of stuff, and you have that every once in a while, you try to suppress it, you try to put it back, but you can't do anything with it. That is conviction from God reminding you that there's an incomplete past that you're wanting to deal with. So you say, Kev, what do I do with it? I can't unscramble the egg, unshoot the bullet, unsay the said. I can't do that. Kind of, what do I do with that? Here's what you do with it. You do what Jesus and Peter did. He brings this box to Jesus, just as he was, and he says, Jesus, I can't do anything. I don't know what to do with this, but here it is. I bring you the mess. I bring you the misery. I bring you the brokenness. I bring you the sin. I bring you the error. I bring you all that is this. I bring you the damage. I bring you the collateral damage, the damage to myself and others. I bring all of that denial of you, that you were enough, that you could help me and that you could love me and all that. And you lay it at the feet of the cross of Jesus Christ, and that is how you begin to undo those chapters of your life that are broken and messed up and you don't know what to do with. You may have some kind of legal something you have to take care of, do it. You may have something in your life where you say, Kev, I don't know what to do with this thing over here. Should I go make a restitution? Restitution means I go back to somebody and I say, I stole this from you, I'm bringing it back. Or I did this to you or said this about you and I'm here. Let me say this about restitution. Whenever you think there might be the need of a restitution, you might want to have a counselor or a pastor kind of help guide you through the idea of that if you're not sure that you should do it. In the olden days, when I was a little kid, restitution was a big deal, and they were talking a lot about you need to go make restitution, and you need to do a lot of things, they would say, and they would say you need to go make these restitutions, and the thing I realized was happening is people were making embarrassing restitutions, and restitution they should never have made because the other people didn't even have a clue what they were even talking about sometimes. That's bizarre, weirded out stuff. So I'm not talking about that, but sometimes we do need to go back to somebody, sometimes we do need to take something something back. Sometimes we do need to do whatever we can to be able to correct the situation. 
And I sense that somebody is sitting here that has done something that is undoable in the sense of you cannot redo it. And you're saying, what do I do about it? Some of you that served in the military, some of you that maybe have some of those things, give it to God. Give it to God. He takes our unsolved mysteries, our unresolved stories, and he takes care of them and then leave them in his care. And move on about your next chapter, your new phase of life, understanding that he provides grace. He provides forgiveness through his bloodshed on the cross, through his resurrection. He is, oh man, somebody's picking this up today. Some, it is so quiet in here, you can hear a mouse. That's Holy Spirit quiet. He is helping somebody today. Thank you, Jesus. Because some of you need to unload and unpack some of the past that you did in that back seat, that you did with that store, that you did at that, I don't know where you were, that you are so wishing hadn't, he can forgive you and make you clean and forgive you and justify you with him and make, listen to this, make you right before God until you can stand in the presence of God and he will say to you, enter into the joys of the Lord, come into heaven and he receives you unto himself. Somebody needs this today. Somebody watching me needs this today. Somebody sitting here listening to me today. You're needing. I don't want to go too fast on this. I don't care what time it is. I don't want to go too fast on this because somebody is needing what I'm putting down. I know it. I feel it. I sense it. And I don't want to look at your faces too tight because I don't want to know who it is. Some of you are benefiting from this. The Holy Spirit brings conviction, John 16 and 8. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin, and he'll show righteousness, and he'll bring judgment. 2 Timothy 3 and 16, all Scripture is God-inspired, and it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Robert Schuller read, uh, wrote this, and I love it, about one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Look what he says. The secret to successful living is simple. You and I must discover our soft spot, our weak link, our ignorant area, our poverty pocket. And then we must become poor in spirit as well. Face up to our poverty. Humble our attitude. Acknowledge our weakness. And ask help. We ask for help from God. Something else this look did. It produced productive sorrow. Productive sorrow. If If Peter had lived with such embarrassment and fear of going back around Jesus, he never would have gotten everything corrected. I just wonder if we have a good view of Jesus or not. We can go to Jesus with anything. His omniscience already knows it. We can go to him with anything. Let's say together, anything. Say it. We can go to him with anything. Man, embarrassing things. Uh, angry things, broken things, ugly things. We can go to him with anything we have. Anything we have. And we can bring it to Jesus. We can just bring it right there to Jesus. And what he is looking for is something that is called repentance. And you know what repentance is, right? It's not just tears, and it's not just saying, hey, I did this, I'm sorry, That can be part of it, but it's not just that. It's saying, Zach, 
I did this to you, and I'm sorry I did this to you, let's say, using Doc as my illustration. I'll never do it again. I repent. Repentance means to turn from something. So I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to do it. You don't have to worry about me doing that again. I won't do that twice. I repent. I turn from it. Jesus, I'm repenting of this. If you're truly repenting of something, you're turning from it. You're saying, Lord, with your help, I won't. Now, some of you have repented and broken, repented and broken, repented and broken. What are you going to do with that? You're going to have to let the atonement of Christ be deep into your life because you've got to give it to God. And if it's something you don't really understand, then you need a better understanding of that. So you don't keep tripping up on that and create a morbid conscience within your heart. Somebody needs that. I threw that in free this morning. (laughs) You just need to let go of that and let God take care of that. John Maxwell said, if you want to succeed, don't let a single incident color your view of yourself. If a weakness is a matter of character, it needs much attention. And that attention is found in Jesus Christ. Christ. What Jesus did with this look, what Jesus did with this look, uncovered Peter's sin, gave him productive sorrow, but here's something else. He helped keep Peter from further hopelessness and despair. I want to encourage you today, don't let your shattered dreams, don't let your shattered dreams Keep you from the grace and the forgiveness that is offered by Christ. Some of you grew up in a home where you're supposed to do everything right. And it was a perfectionistic home. And everybody was supposed to be pristine. And then you came along. (laughs) And you broke the mold. And you don't do everything pristine. You've done some things and you say, man, I can't even go. And you you know all of this stuff that that maybe is is part of that. You know what? Don't Don't let the pristine image of your family or of the church you grew up in, or of something like that, if it, if it was truly unhealthy, don't allow that to be so problematic that you cannot come to Jesus now. Because Jesus loves you. <laughs> he really does. And he died on the cross knowing all the garbage that we would do. And yet he still loves us and offers redemption and offers the next opportunity. Aren't you glad Peter did not go jump off the bridge after he betrayed Jesus. I'm certainly glad he followed Jesus. He let the resurrection happen. Harry Truman was a president a few years ago from the great state of misery, and he said this. He said, the worst danger is brought on by those who abandon faith and sneer at hope. We can't sneer at the hope that is offered from our God. And so we have Judas, who doesn't embrace this, and we have Peter, who does embrace this, both were complete failures and both were complete losers. And both should have been punished deeply, right? But you know what? God reached out in love. So let's bring this to a landing. If you're ready to land it, say amen. Amen. (laughs) I knew you were. Randy Southern, a pastor, asked three questions, and I think they're good interrogative questions and good for us to consider, so I share them with you. What mistakes or bad decisions have negatively affected your relationship with Jesus Christ? be different for each of us, but we all know if there's something there. 
What comfort and encouragement is the second question can you draw from Simon Peter's experience? He would come to Christ and say, here I am. Acknowledge who he is. Here I am. And third, what useful qualities might Jesus see in you right now? Useful qualities that he sees in you. And what can he accomplish through using those qualities? You ever thought of that? Peter was used mightily after this. We hear about him before, but he hit a whole new level after this because he accepted the resurrection. Isn't that powerful? Okay, the Milwaukee Braves and the Cincinnati Reds were playing baseball against each other, right? And so as they're playing baseball against each other, there's a rookie on the Reds, there's a rookie on the Braves. And the rookie on the Reds had four doubles that day. It means he ran to second after he hit it. And so he has four doubles that day and helped his team win 9-8. Woohoo! Yay, Red Legs. They won that game. On the other team, there was a little loser who batted five times. And you know what? He didn't get on base once. Two rookies, what should they do? Jim Greengrass had the four doubles. Have you ever heard of Jim Greengrass? I had not. Jim Greengrass. True guy, real guy, real name. Cool name, but anyway. Have you ever heard of Henry Aaron? Did you know Henry Aaron struck out 1,363 times? Loser. Did you know he hit 756 home runs? He surpassed Babe Ruth's record as a home run hitter. Is that powerful? So today the score might be 9-8 and you might be losing, but let me tell you, don't stop. Get up. Get going. Get 